G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day everyone, I'm Rowan Connolly. I'm Mark Fine. And we're here to wrap up a cracking round two of AFL football, the Easter round finey, and a bit of a football marathon, but gee, it was worth the wait. Well, it had its highs and lows. It was, I guess, at times, the football wasn't of the highest standard, but then at other times, it's exactly what you want football to be. Sunny day, take Monday. Big crowd and a grandstand nail-biting finish. And already only two games in, but you know a couple of clubs definitely in a spot of bother, I think it's fair to say, and a couple of clubs looking what they really might emerge. We've got a great even competition. The interstate teams are tracking well. We've got uh, Gold Coast going better than people would have thought, but then again, their test will come shortly. West Coast, a different look, but maybe reports of their demise were premature. As Mark Twain might have put it if he was an AFL fan. Okay, we're going to talk about every game, three of them in detail, in our wraparound. Right out, Finey, three games in detail. We have to start with the last and best of them. Easter Monday, the Cats and the Hawks, again, they did it again. They turned on an absolute classic. I think they called Carl Malone in the NBA the postman because he always delivered. This game is postal in its very own special way. What a great game of football. And don't doesn't cream rise to the top? Wasn't it exhilarating at the end of the game to see the stars try to lift their respective sides over the line? Yeah, well, Tom Mitchell made the running for the Hawks, obviously. But, yeah, Ablett and Dangerfield in particular, those last 15 minutes. How about that moment when Rioli had the ball in Hawthorne's forward line and legally low and tough Dangerfield clattered into him and came out with the ball. Yeah. I, I'll tell you one thing about this game too. I, I'd love to be able to wheel out that phrase, no matter where they are on the ladder. But I don't think it's applicable because I think they're both going to be pretty high on the ladder. I, I think the Hawks are looking fantastic. They are. Geelong, of course, will welcome the fact that they get back to Geelong to their newly named GMHBA Stadium and We'll have home games there that uh, they should be able to rack points up in. But at the MCG, over two weeks, they've played in a couple of nail-biters. And whilst Richmond showed them up in the finals last year, there's a slightly different look to the team. With the likes of Kelly being added to the side, there is more pace and more ground coverage. And no Duncan to, uh, today. That's Remember true. that as well. I mean, wh- what does it say about both teams? I think, no doubt, absolute pluses for the Hawks. They're in a much better position than they were 12 months ago, obviously. I looked at that last 15 minutes the Cats rolled out after being 25 points down, and I thought, geez, amazing when you play at that level. Can you play at that level for 100 minutes? And I suspect they can't. Look, the one thing that Cats have on their side, it's not going to be 100 minutes of football, but true champions, and they do have three on the ball in Selwood, Dangerfield and Ablett, when the game is close, they lift. They are capable of finding their best when it matters, and you see it time and time again. 
I remember when my own Saints were at their best, it was inevitably Harvey Hayes who would lift in the final minutes to get results. Now, to have three such players who all believe that they can win you the match is invaluable. And, look, they had it when Bartell was there with Ablett and Selwood, and now they've got a trio that can do it again. And remember, that first trio I mentioned won them flags. I want to talk uh, about Jared Roughhead because, you know, given what he's been through, just to come back and, uh, and, and play as many minutes as he did last year was a feat in itself. But he's back to Ruffy at nearly his best, isn't he? He was awesome today. He's, look, up forward, again, cometh the hour, cometh the man. He took a great mark early in the last quarter and converted for his first goal. His great body work gave him a chance to kick the winning point. But actually, when it was, I think, Ruffy at his best, and we'll see more of this coming off the wing and in the ruck yeah. as, as a pinch hitter, a big-sized run-through player through the middle, yeah, he's devastating. Well, speaking about the ruck, the other guy I wanted to make special mention of was big boy McAvoy, because he was terrific, I thought. So did Geelong do the right thing or wrong thing? They played Stanley. They played yeah. Blitzarves. Yeah. No, I reckon they might have pulled the wrong rein there. Yeah, I, I still think that they were happy with their return from those two players. Mm. Um, maybe it was the second game of... Was it Radagula or... Yeah, he was a late withdrawal, wasn't yeah, it? I yeah. mean, look... That could have provided... Because he's big... He some could have chop out. Some jump and, yeah. jump and chop. I mean, look, Zach Smith's not an overly physical ruckman anyway, is he? So... He's got the size, though, mm. to grind it out. The other highlight for me in the game... Oh, there were many highlights. I shouldn't say that. But one of the other highlights for me in the game was the the return to the very best of Isaac Smith. Now, yeah, he was good. Now, he combined everything that's good about Isaac Smith. He's long-kicking. He's beautiful. He's a silky mover. But I think last year he lost confidence with his hands and his ability to bend down and pick the ball up. He played some beautiful football, and it was not surprising that in the last minute of the game, he got the ball a couple of times to propel his team forward. Yeah, no, he was terrific, and um, a bit of deja vu there. He had the chance to win the game for the Hawks against the Cats last year. I thought it was going to unfold again, but he probably did a, a bit more this time. Very quickly, if we're framing a final eight now, are they both in it? Yes, they are. Yeah, I, I reckon I'd have them both in it as well. Potentially very high up. Hawthorne... Uh, Hawthorne. Did pay a price today, Sean Burgoyne getting injured. Yeah, well, he probably missed a few weeks, but uh, I want to roll out another cliche, Peter McKenna in the 1980s. Ah, uh, you can never write Hawthorne off, Fawny. And that's, uh, Peter, as true today as it was then. Yeah, absolutely, 30 years on. All right, let's move on to our second feature game. And uh, not as good a game, but the ramifications might be a bit deeper or more significant. And I'm speaking, of course, of... West Coast win over the Western Bulldogs at Etihad Stadium on Sunday. Well, I tell you what, the, I felt the writing was on the wall pretty early in this game. The Eagles wasted a few chances early, but when they finally got their kicking boots on, it was a massacre at stages. I mean, there was one goal the Eagles kick where they, they had three guys raffling the ball in the goal square with no opposition. The stat that really caught my eye was they were up 23 contested possessions on the Bulldogs at half time. That is an amazing tally when you remember that the Bulldogs in the year they won the flag were clear number one for contested ball and that last week, even though West Coast played all right last week, they had the biggest negative differential of any side in the league. 
and the Bulldogs had the second worst, and yet the Bulldogs were 23 down on the worst contested ball side out of round one. That is not good news. Without going to the statistics, just watching the game, West Coast, who've got a, a, an unheralded midfield, win the midfield battle against a side that was once vaunted for having so many midfield options. Venables, who was mentioned prior to the season as a possible fix to some of those problems, lived up good to his reputation. He yep, was hard so at it, but he yep. was able to add three goals to uh, <clears throat> some good hard-bodied work. He's got a nice frame about him. Credit to Jack Darling, too. I mean, with Josh Kennedy out... The hate's really been on Darling to stand up, and I thought he, he was great. He was great. That Bulldogs back line without Morris and Adams, young Norton tried. Uh, players like Zane Cordy and other former Premiership players are a shadow of their former selves. Post-game, Luke Beveridge said that this is a million miles from the Premiership team. It's now a distant memory, and I think he was stating what most people feel, that this is no longer a hangover. This is a a, a reality. This is now their current situation. Well, they, they went into the game with only literally exactly half of that premiership side, but I've got a demur there. I, I think it still is a hangover, and the proof of the pudding, or well, I never get that phrase right, but um, it's, it's the fact that so many players from that premiership side that are still there are still below their best. You know, they, they had a list of 40-odd players. There were, I think, arguably three last year who improved on their 2016 form. And a lot of them are just going up and down the one spot. Injuries, here's the other point, Finey. They had almost the worst run of injuries in the league in 2016. And every time it happened, someone came in, did the role they had to do, and they never missed a beat. That's happening now, and it seems to throw everything out. And that says to me that these young guys coming in now, guys like Norton, Ed Richards, who looked all right despite them getting thrashed. Look, Tim English. Tim English, been, yeah. Right. But they don't have that structure around them to make it easier on them. It's like the whole basis of what they put together seems to be crumbling. And, and I, again, I just keep asking myself, incredibly, it's only 24 games since they won the flag, but... Has the hunger of too many of these guys been sated? I mean, I'll ask you this question. Who do you think will top their goal kicking this year? Um, someone with not many, the way they're going. Oh, well, well, Tory Dixon's not even playing, is he? Um, Boyd hasn't played Dixon. No. Shackey's probably not going to... Well, they'll have to play Shackey, surely. Only if he warrants it. Yeah. Not, not on what anybody has seen so far. See, it's interesting. Bevo made reference to their skills, and there's no doubt their skills were off and it hurt them on the turnover. But before you execute the skills, you've got to win the ball. And and they won that flag off the back of that fierce attack on the contest and on the ball and on the opponent, and that is palpably missing. And I'd reckon you've got to restore that before you worry about the skills. You know, there's a sign when you play West Coast that you're entire team, especially your forward line, hasn't been vigilant in an obvious uh, requirement. And that is if Shannon Hearn, the West Coast captain, gets plenty of the ball and is damaging, then you have not been good to your pre-game planning. Now, he was close to best on ground, Hearn. Jeez, a beautiful kick, isn't he? Teams don't allow him to do that. It's, it's part of every team's pre-match preparation to short-circuit <coughs> Hearn getting the ball easily out of the back line and giving them a 70-metre pinpoint kick up the field, yet he did it 
regularly against the Bulldogs. That's a bad sign for the Doggies. And once again, a reminder of how good Hearn is. Yeah. Well, finishing up on the Eagles very quickly, in a nutshell, I think we all expected them to not only slide out of the eight, but perhaps a fair way down the ladder. You'd have to say pretty respectable last week against the Swans and really impressive this week. So maybe, you know, maybe they're going to be a bit better than we thought. When Kennedy comes back, how does that forward line look? Uh, potent would be my Ryan, answer Ryan plays off his hip oh, pocket? He absolutely. Must. Yeah, yep. no, absolutely. Even Lecrae looked all right. He did, he did. Let's move on to our third feature game. I thought this was a really significant game too. And until the Easter Monday epic, I would have thought easily the best game this season, certainly the most intense. And that was Sydney versus Port Adelaide, Twilight Sunday up at the SCG. And yes, I know I've been pretty bullish about the power along with a few other people, but absolute vindication, I reckon, of what they've done. They look fantastic. I'll tell you what I loved about it. I'll try and do it as concisely as possible. They absorbed an enormous amount of punishment early on without getting too far behind on the scoreboard. Half-time, I think the inside 50s were like 31 to 14, and yet they're only, I think, 14 points down. But here's the big ace that Ken Hinckley has up his sleeve, the versatility of that whole midfield slash forward group. So you've already got Wingard and Gray, who will look potential All-Australian players as either mids or small forwards. Not many clubs can boast even two of them. No, true. Now you throw in Travis Boke, who added to his skill set last year by going forward. You throw in Watts, Motlop and Rockcliffe, the three recruits, all of whom have and can play as forwards or mids. So at half-time, what does he do? He puts Dixon in the ruck, Marshall came off for a spell, Westhoff went to the wing, and at one stage their forward setup had Watts, but the rest of it was Boke, Gray, Wingard, Ebert, and immediately they turn around. Boke kicked two, they looked revitalised, and their defence, I, I love their defence. Here's the other thing about Port. I could go on about this all day. I, I, I love watching them. They were second for points scored last year, and they were second for fewest points conceded. That is a balance between attack and defence, which even Richmond, even Adelaide couldn't boast. Yeah, I, I was a little slow on the uptake, but I can't see too many faults in Port Adelaide as we sit in Adelaide without Port Adelaide without Ryder was going to be a test, one that they were able to certainly against Sydney with has rucking weakness come through with, <clears throat> with flying colours. A lot of people point to uh, the inclusion of Motlop, Watts and Rockliffe, and fair enough. But there are three players that are now part of that team that have been at Port Adelaide for a little while, just cooling their jets, learning their trade in the uh, Sandful. And they are Todd Marshall. Yep. He's a good kid. Yep. Made his debut last year against the Doggies in Ballarat. Yep. And Mars Stadium. Yeah. Well... He's uh, well and truly at home here, right on earth. The defensive and forward potential of Dougal Howard is unlimited. Yep. Look, he had a tough, tough job on Buddy, and Buddy was great. Yep. But Howard kept at it. Yep. And Riley Bonner, well. Yeah, he's a gun, isn't he? Kicked the ceiling goal. He did. He kicks the ball a country mile. He's bullet a gate. <clears throat> he's a combination of um, Pittard who they have out of the team, mm. and Wines, who plays in the midfield. He sort of combines a bit of both. Well, speaking of balls, what about Sam Powell-Pepper? He's in his second season of AFL yeah, footy. Nice pick-up he. Oh. He's, and he's from the West, I think. But he's got a body like a, a bloke who's played for 10 years, and now mm. with that nude nut, he looks even older. He's a, he's a bit of a man-child, I reckon, Powell-Pepper. Now the Swans. Uh, I've, no, I've got, yeah, go on. I've got concerns about their back yeah. line. 
No, I don't. I, the back I, line? No, I just reckon that was a really, really competitive loss. I don't reckon they did too much wrong. Well, they, tell us, though. What are you concerned? Well, that back line, look, Grundy is getting older. Yeah. And you're start, starting to feel it. Young Melican is okay, but I think he's susceptible. You know, I had a feeling when they were being bombarded a little by Port Adelaide that he was not quite, you know, he wasn't there to just repel them. Well, don't forget he, they've got Aaliyah Aaliyah in reserve. Well, they, they didn't play him last year, and then mm. he had a slow start because of injury, but they've got an option to play him, and they're choosing not to. So I didn't feel that there was a steadying force in the back line. Yeah, no, it's a fair comment. If you ask me instinctively, my cons- biggest concern with them probably would have been the other end of the ground because it does look to me, and it's perfectly understandable because he's so good, but they seem to be more buddy conscious than they have been in the past, I reckon. Yeah, well, you know what? Sam Reid tries to fill... He tries to fill the inadequacies at both ends of the ground. And against Port Adelaide, he was unable to do either. Yeah. Some weeks he does. yeah. But they need... Look, they lost Tippett. It didn't work out. Mm. Are they one big man short? Yeah, well, you know, Naismith going down for the season certainly hasn't helped them, um, has it? You know, so, yeah, look, not too many concerns, but, um, yeah, probably need to do a bit of tweaking here and there. All right, there are our three feature games. We're now going to roll through the remaining six in chronological order, and it seems like a long, long time ago now, but last Thursday evening... We had the grand final rematch, finally. You hesitate to speak of redemption. You can't redeem a grand final loss. It's there in perpetuity. However, two blokes who were conspicuous by their non-performance in that game played ripping games, and I speak of Josh Jenkins and Tex Walker. Tex Walker started off fumbly. It was his first game of the season, and he looked to have a bit of ring rust, and he was able to just get his hands on one in the second quarter, He's such a beautiful kick of goal that it gave him the confidence to therefore follow up. And by midway through the last quarter, their captain was a potential match winner and then became the match winner. Incidentally, speaking about match winner, how good is Rory Laird? Gee, I love Rory Laird. Yeah, I mean, 40-plus possessions. He was... Did he... Was he in Damien Hardwick's blind spot? Well, yeah. He really should have been attended to at some point. He was running... He was running amok for yeah. the entire game. Look, they've, they've added a bit to this mix too. I like the look of uh, Fogarty. I, I think he's going to be a regular in their best 22. Not the first cult hero down at Adelaide. They no. love their cult heroes. They do. Well, they've got a few to choose from now. What about the Tigers, just quickly? Anything to worry about? Or is it just the, you know, the uh, as Paul Keating might have put it, the downer they had to have? Yeah, I wouldn't, wor- I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't worry too much other than... Um, it's a game that they actually should have won halfway through the last quarter because Crouch was off. Yeah. They got within a, a couple of kicks. Yeah. Martin was again being influential and they got run over the top of. Not a problem once. You don't want to see it happen too often. No, I'm tipping they'll respond pretty vigorously. Okay, let's move on to the second ever Good Friday game. And, uh, yeah, look, I could do a pretty ordinary joke about crucifixion or whatever, but... Um, I don't know, I reckon I probably would have preferred to have been nailed to across and watch the first half of this game. It was a shocker. The first half of the game was as bad as AFL football could possibly be. Unless you saw North Melbourne St Kilda last year, which was even worse. (laughs) But North Melbourne were able to find something in that second half. Ben Brown was an obvious target, and 
the scoreboard return in the second half mirrored his dominance. St Kilda played exactly the same football in the second half as the first half, inept by foot, slow to react, second to most situations. And even though at three-quarter time they were eight points behind, if you panned around the ground and looked at St Kilda supporters' faces, it's as though everybody knew that they were playing the sort of football that would result in a 50-point loss because St Kilda supporters, of which I'm one, know their team and they deserve to lose by 50. Well, we've got to be quick here, but, I mean, good effort by North. I think a team that a lot of people thought would be bottom of the ladder. Do you think, have St Kilda supporters got that feeling of, OK, we've put five years into a rebuild and uh, it's amounted to a side that's still a fair way short of the mark? Yeah, and there are teams that are sort of middle of the table treading water and we've seen in the recent years, say Richmond, really last year got that huge fillip from new players, young players, invigorating the team. And Hardwick was at pains all throughout the year to point out how great it was to have these young guys putting pressure on for spots. Now, at St Kilda, there are guys that know that they can rock up every week and get picked in an AFL team that have no right to do so on the way they play. Strong words, and I know they're very heartfelt because you do have more than a soft spot for them. OK, let's move on to Saturday afternoon, Etihad Stadium, Carlton Gold Coast. And speaking about uh, what we did in another game, riding being on the wall, what about this? The Suns just came out fired up. 5-5 to 1-1 at quarter time. Probably should have been all over then. And it was all over pretty much by uh, not far into the third quarter. I'm loving watching the Suns. They're, they're really, I think Stuart do. it's fair to say already, he's harnessed the skill that they or the talent that they always had. A fantastic spearhead in Tom Lynch. But he's, well, finally, a, a really good return. Tom Lynch has rarely kicked more than four goals yeah. in a game. He kicks four and a half He's got four at half time or five at half time. You think this is the week and he yeah. doesn't build on it. I was going to say 10, but that was the other Tom Lynch, wasn't it? <laughs> That's exactly right. The, but he's, he's, what I was going to say was he's harnessed that uh, natural ability to a, a much better work ethic and a, a more defensive uh, mindset, I think, and it's it's a really good uh, blend. Martin and Bose are having some influence. Yeah, Bose has been good. Um, Jared Lyons is a good pick-up. Wits. Again, does well in the ruck, even though Paulson in for Cruiser is a big loss for Carlton uh, just before the game. Mm. Well, it might have happened earlier, but that is a big late withdrawal. And as for Carlton, uh, the two Kurnails were pretty good. Eddie got a lot of it. Yeah. Doesn't always use it perfectly. Charlie's a great target, very athletic, and really the comparisons to Kudafidis are well founded. But beyond that, um, I know Jacob Weedering took a hit. But I wonder what his best spot on the ground is. Well, he looks like a guy that has been messed around a bit and really needs yeah. to be settled down. I, I'm not jumping off the blues just yet. I, I like the way they've tried to attack a bit more, and you've got to give up a bit to get some mm. in an attacking defensive sense. So we'll see how they go against the Pies, and that really will be a case of no matter where they are on the ladder, finally, because they're both down the arse end of the ladder. And I mentioned Pies. We move on now to the MCG later that afternoon, and uh, um, it's got to be said, a much better effort by the Pies than the previous week. They were the better team for most of the day. Against GWS, of course, losing by 16 points in the end. However, um, not you know, maybe not Groundhog Day, but ultimately the Achilles heel, the Cossum victory, was their lack of skill and their inability to both hit enough targets and convert their scoring opportunities. Yeah, uh, by the way, just 
Tim Broomhead. Oh, I mean, that was... Yeah, it was a shocker. Yeah, look, it was a courageous attempt to try and get a goal mm. near the goal line. He wrapped his leg around the post. Of course, most people have seen the footage. But for a young player on the periphery of an AFL side who gets an opportunity with the late withdrawal of Ben Reid, that is just, you know, it's gut-wrenching for family, for Tim. So the thoughts go out to a player for whom AFL football is no certainty and as he heads into his rehab, it's a long way away. So where, where do you sit with the Pies? Like, uh, if you're a Collingwood fan, are you encouraged by that? Or do you think, you know, we're still short of the mark even when we played our absolute optimum? That's the problem. I thought that they were playing really well. Yeah. Uh, it's It just seems to me to be a long way... They were playing in such a good midfield and really mixing it with them. In fact, they were more... They were more, to me, they were the more invested side in the loose ball, mm. the hard ball, get everything you want from a team. But when the ball's on the halfback flying for Collingwood, gee, it's a long way home. And, and to me, it often feels like it's a long way home for a rush shot at goal or a shot from the boundary. It doesn't all funnel down to the goal square for them. It's just, it's too much hard work for too little a return. I agree with that. Uh, very, very quick word on GWS. Got to stop mucking around with the ball. It's like they, they're so it's like they've been touched by that thing about we're a team of individuals, so we're gonna show what a great team we are. They overdo it. Just do the percentage thing and uh they'll win far, far more games than they lose. They will anyway. Gotta move on. Toby Green's really important to them. He was oh, a late yeah, withdrawal. Yes. And the forward line, you know, it looked pretty thankfully they had their kicking boots on. It just looked devoid of a lot of great options. No, they can play a lot better than that. No question. Okay, two more to go. Uh, Brisbane, Melbourne up at the Gabba Saturday evening. Quite remarkable, really. The Demons doing it on the bit, seven goals up, and they stopped as if shot, and uh, credit to the Lions. They nearly pulled it out of the fire. You know, Melbourne, I saw this in a JLT game against St Kilda when they were up by 40 points at the start of the third quarter. Yeah, I saw that going down Casey. Yeah, with five minutes to go. In that quarter, they were behind. Yeah. They had a, a... Quarter against Geelong, really, that cost them the game. Uh, uh, pardon me, cost them the game. I mm. felt a lapse of concentration there. And now again against Brisbane. This is a side that if they are going to fulfil the promise of finishing in the eight, even having a rattle at the top four, have to play four quarters of footy. It's pretty symptomatic of last season too. I think there was a stat about that basically saying they had more uh, dud quarters than, than most other teams that were in the top half of the ladder. I will say this though, once upon a time, once Brisbane had levelled the scores, that would have been it for Melbourne, but they were able to bounce back and end up winning by 26 points, so um, look, Hogan looking better and better and I'm loving the Hogan-Garlett combination too, nine goals between them. And for Brisbane, Cameron has had two great games he has. for them. He has, And great to see Alan Christensen, who was a real weapon at Geelong. Yeah after a couple of troubled years, start to return to some good football. Yeah, they'll, they'll win some games this year. Look, I mean, maybe they'll end up on the bottom of the ladder again, but you'll look at them and think, you know, this is a, a side that has potential over the it's, next it's couple of years. It's that forward line, again, that lets them down. I yeah, think. yeah. All right, final game of the round to discuss, and it was Optus Stadium in Perth on Saturday evening, Fremantle and Essendon. 16-point uh, margin to the Dockers in the end. You'll look at that scoreline and think, ooh, that must have been tight. Let me give you the tip. It wasn't. Essendon kicked three goals in junk time. The result was never in doubt for the whole of the second half. And I reckon, to be brutally honest, for about, but for about five minutes in the first quarter, the Bombers never looked like it. Once again, 
they hit the road and lose all semblance of form and confidence. I felt that Essendon were a bit short-handed midfield-wise. Yeah. Now, is this going to be a, a re- recurring theme? theme? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And I, I said this. Look, you pick up Stringer, Sard, and Smith. Smith, by the way, has been terrific. Yeah, I reckon he's, he's been their best player in two. Yeah, yeah, he's worked diligently. But Stringer... But was, also, Smith is small. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he's added something. Stringer was always going to be a, a gamble. Could he actually play that midfield role? And Sard's a running defender. And, and look, Sard's had his moments as well. But essentially, you're adding one bona fide midfielder to that setup. And it was a midfielder that was horribly deficient, was ranked very low for contestable clearances. They're not hard enough. They put their back line under too much pressure. And frankly, you know, while Brown and um, uh, Hartley stood up against the Crows, with this, the ball coming in the way it was against the Dockers, they, they weren't going to get the job done. So Kevin has had a good start to the he season. Has, he has, yeah. He was, good, yeah. he was good in the loss even last week. Yeah, and I must say, I haven't rated him, but he's impressed me the last two weeks. So, yeah, look, I'd mark Freo right down. I, I might have got them wrong. It does look, do you reckon Ross Lyon has finally bitten the bullet and gone, my teams have to play a more aggressive attacking style footy? They, that, there was not a semblance of uh, backward play or start bringing the game to a dead halt. In mm. fact, it was Essendon at times who were gasping for oxygen, looking to slow the game down. It was quite a reversal of roles at certain times. Maybe going into state, it's hot over in Perth, but Essendon didn't seem to have that run and dash. Fremantle did for much of the game, which is very much against type. Yeah, no, I agree. You did mention hot too, and uh, that is our end of the wraparound segment. But time now for hot... Or not. Rightio, time for hot or not. Three likes or dislikes from us each about round two. I'm going to kick us off, Finey. I'm going to start with Gold Coast midfielder Jared Lyons. I love this guy. I reckon he's one of the most undersold mids in the competition. Absolutely fantastic against the Blues. 36 touches, six tackles, kicked a goal. He was a bargain basement pickup for the Suns last year. Finished sixth in their best and fairest. Frankly, I can't work out why Adelaide was so prepared to let him go. He's been a gun. Look, I was um, really bullish on him last season, and without Ablett there, he's probably even going to take a, another step. He's a great ball winner. He's courageous. He's quite good in front of goal. He's a, a nice, steady kick. And it sort of begs the question as to... Clubs that are just going all out to find midfielders. Of course, Jared Lyons is on the market. Why you would let him go, as you said, sure, they've got the Crouchers and Sloan in Adelaide, but can you ever have too many good midfielders? I wouldn't have thought so. I I did ask around a bit about this, and the the view seemed to be that the coach just wasn't sold on him, and, you know, that's the coach's prerogative. But, frankly, I don't see any deficiencies in his game. What could the knock have been? Pace? Um, possibly. Um, he's a grinding sort of mover, but he gets to each contest. He, and he's efficient, I reckon, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's got a, a decent footy brain. The Suns have done pretty well with their pickups from other clubs in, in the last couple of years. I reckon Jared Witts. Well, Witts working to Lions, yeah. both virtual cast-offs two seasons ago. Mm. In what was a tough year last year for Gold Coast, they came through and they're following it up this year in wins. Yeah, as the old Sporting Globe would have put it, Witts to Lions is good football. Okay, you're up. Connolly to fine. I wonder if it's good vodcasting. My first hot goes to the stand-in West Coast coach, Jamie Graham. Right. Look, he had a period at St Kilda, 
also with Sandringham in the VFL, returned West, where he played some football, and just the fact that he was invested with the responsibility of coming over here and taking the team when Adam Simpson was called uh, for a family emergency speaks volumes of where he sits in the system. Obviously, the day went very well for them, but he's just a name on the horizon amongst a couple of lesser-known possible future AFL coaches. Yeah, he's, he, I remember him as a, a handy sort of player too. Not that that should have any indication of how good a coach you can be, but yeah. not I, too not too good a player. That's always been the rule, hasn't it? Well, I, I like to see it when lower-profile guys end up with senior coaching gigs. I think it's great. Well, you can't get much lower profile than Jamie or. Due respect, and his career didn't make the headlines, but maybe he's coaching well. Back to you. All right, I've got a not now. We spoke last week about Collingwood and Groundhog Day, how the Pies just keep falling victim to the same weaknesses. Well, Groundhog Day for the Bombers in round two because they got on a plane. And frankly, every time they get on a plane, I don't know what happens, but they're hopeless. They have now lost 17 of their last 19 games on the road since the start of 2015. And this was a game, and look, granted, Fremantle played really well, taking nothing away from them. But if Essendon are aspiring to be a top-four team, they're the sort of road wins you have to knock over. And the Groundhog Day element was it played out like so many of those other road trips they've done in, in the last few years have. They got jumped at the start. They worked their way back into it and then just completely run over in the second half. And to be honest, for about apart from about five minutes in the first quarter, they never at any stage looked like winning. It's fair to say that the trip to West is a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, mm, yeah, it is. regardless of the fact that there's a new ground to play, it's still the same parochial crowd. It feels the same. Yeah. It just begs the question, Gold Coast, two and zip, are at home next week to Fremantle. Yeah. At Optus in, yeah, in Perth. It's not a good deal, is it? I'll tell you what, though, even saying this, I know uh, fans from states outside Victoria will be going, oh, here we go, you know, our clubs travel 11 times a yeah, year, and that's quite true. Um, and, look, the last five uh, losing grand finalists have been interstate sides, but they've all had pretty good records on the road during the season to get them there. And, look, the Bombers have just got to be better than that in any environment. As Ross Lyon said a few years ago when the Dockers were up and running, you know, we play anywhere, we win anywhere. You've just got to have that attitude. And Essendon's just got to be mentally tougher. There can't be top four for Essendon until they beat that sink in their armour. Well, it's not a hoodoo. Hoodoo suggests some curse or some sense of bad luck. This is a weakness. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Over to you. Uh, not hot. I've been to Eddie Head when it was Colonial, when it was various other guises, and I have never enjoyed watching football there or on TV with the roof open. The shadows that are cast can be confusing, nightmare for broadcasters, cameramen and those people responsible bringing you the game in its best light. But the AFL this season have signalled that they want more games played there with the roof open, weather permitting, which includes twilight games, etc., and I just don't enjoy watching games there that are affected not by the weather, but by the shade cast by or the shadows cast by unusual roofing structures. Um, you're going to hate me for this, and a lot of people will. But I'm I'm pretty old school about this. Now, having said that, watching that game with the roof open, I really did notice how hard it was to pick up on TV. However, football is an outdoor sport predominantly. 
And why is it that until we had a stadium with a roof, no one ever used to talk about, oh, I hate going to the footy because, you know, the sun gets in your eyes. Ever heard of this? Yeah, but, but at Etihad Stadium, it's not outdoor football. The roof is more equivalent to the sunroof in a motor car. It, it doesn't... <laughs> I've never had one. It doesn't... <laughs> really? Well, I've had a car, but not with a sunroof. Oh, sorry. I'm confused. <laughs> it, it doesn't... When open, it's not the entire stadium that is opened up. Mm. There is still a fair bit of overhang. So, yeah, yeah. You know that there was a... Remember the famous grand final between Adelaide and Melbourne Victory in the A-League? Yeah, in 2000, the first one, yeah, when Archie Thompson scored five. 68. Yeah, yeah. Five, he scored five. Six nil to Melbourne Victory. It rained that night, Yeah, but the roof was opened in such a way that it was pouring on part of the crowd, Yeah, and... And some other people didn't even get a sense that it was raining. Just one quick one on the aesthetics. Don't you find it depressing to have a beautiful day outside and you're trapped inside this sort of thunderdome? I find the whole thing really sort of... Claustrophobic? Uh, well, a bit. It just drags you down. I mean, the sun's shining, you know, play in the sun. Yep, thanks, yeah. Dad. No, I am, I am old school. Uh, my go again. Um, I'm going to finish off with a hot on a positive note. And speaking of games at Etihad, West Coast has had a pretty ordinary record on the road. They had a really good win over the Bulldogs. But I think the best thing that came out of it was the form of Liam Ryan. And you can tell already this guy is going to be... Uh, I think he's better than a cult figure. I think he's going to be a real star for them. He's a pocket dynamo, isn't he? Not much of him. But what a leap. Incredible leap. He's great at, the, at, at ground level. Kicked three goals. Had his 14 disposals. I think he'll be one of those guys that's very damaging with minimal disposals and uh, really adds a whole new dimension to their forward setup and just excitement. Plus, I love watching guys like that that are terriers on the ground but are prepared to back themselves and fly for marks, and uh, it was fantastic to watch. Yeah, there's so many footballers now constricted by team rules and jobs and roles to play that when we get a really spectacular player like a Liam Ryan burst on the scene... He's embraced with both hands, isn't he? Absolutely. All right, you wrap it up. I'll finish off with a hot, and in the star-studded GWS side, we have, I believe, after two games, six votes in the Brownlow medal, and maybe because of injury and the star status placed upon players coming out of contract, the question as to who the best of the uh, Giants is has been muddied a bit, but I've got no doubt it's Stephen Canilio because he has it all. He is so tough in and under. He holds his feet. He's got, he's got hips. He's got that, that core of steel, yet when he's on the move, he's lateral and he's dashing. His kicking's good. He knows where the goals are, and he's good overhead. I think he is... I think he's better than Kelly. I'll say that. I think he's the best GWS player, and that doesn't mean Kelly is shabby. You can still be a star and run second to him. Gee, I love that expression, core of steel. It makes me think of Superman or something well, like that. Well, some, I look at him and he has those sort of, you know, he's got the big square, square jaw. Is he faster and, than a spooning bullet? Just on Superman. Yeah, quick. Up in the sky. Yeah. What in the next two lines? It's a bird, it's a plane, no, it's Superman. Well, who would trust anybody who can't tell the difference between a bird or a plane? Well, I can think of some football commentators. Who <laughs> it's can't a bird, after. it's a plane. Mate, I don't care for your third opinion. Now, just, qu- <laughs> just quickly on Cornelio, don't you love it when you see 
an emerging star in their infancy. And you can say, I remember seeing his... Well, the first time I saw Cornelio was when he played as a 16-year-old for Swan Districts in the 2010 WAFL Grand Final. One of the great uh, West Australian Grand Finals, they pipped Claremont to win their first flag for 20 years. And Cornelio was a superstar in that game. And, uh, yeah, it's great to see him now doing it at AFL level. I, I agree entirely. He's a gun. Despite his name, he's no bunny. <laughs> Very good. Okay, there's Hot or Not for this week. That's the more reasoned, rational part of the show. Now it's time for some complete insanity. Because, finally, it's time for the... Rant Radio Finey, that time of the week again, we're going to exercise our demons, we're going to get rid of any bees lurking around in whatever particular bonnet we happen to be wearing. I'm angry. Are you angry? I want honey. Well, that bee talk. <laughs> well, I'm staying angry. You stick with honey. I'm angry. I want you to count me in. A three, two, one, start buzzing. I'm pissed off with the state of AFL club uniforms, Finey. There's no standards anymore, no tastefulness. It's a cesspit of a hodgepodge of technicolour awfulness, and it's damaging the very fabric of our game, pardon the pun. This all goes back to those goddamn Hawthorne Harlequin numbers they trotted out for the pre-season comp back in 1995. Clearly the Hawks are taking the piss, but no one else seemed to get the joke, and now they're all doing it. You thought football fashion couldn't get any worse than those T-shirt things Geelong were running around in during the JLT series? Well, think again. How's Carlton's grey shorts last week? Did someone in the laundry at Princess Park put the whites in with the colours? Or are they so hard up out there these days they can't afford some white king? And what about the off-colour chamois patches on the back made to look like pockets? Took me back to the good old denim days of the mid-70s, finally. Next thing you know, the Blues will be running out in pairs of Amco peaches with 28 pockets and 76 copper rivets and a tag that your opponents spend all day trying to rip off your duds in a bid to win that mythical free pair of jeans you were supposed to get if you collected enough of them. Then on Saturday, I turned my TV on and there's Melbourne going all retro with that punty royal blue thing they made a big deal about getting rid of 30 years ago. Come on, demons, I thought you wanted respectability. If I was Melbourne, the last thing I'd want to be revisiting is the early 1980s. No wonder Brisbane nearly mowed down their seven-goal lead. That started off with Hogan, Garlett and Jones on fire. By late in the last quarter, they were channeling Peter Tossel, Ted Fitch and Danny Hughes instead. You know what? The AFL thinks people don't want GWS to win a flag because of all those draft concessions. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'll tell you why the thought of a Giants premiership turns people's stomachs. It's because no self-respecting sporting organisation can be taken seriously if one of its official colours is bloody charcoal. I agree with you. Charcoal? The whole thing I agree with, except one point. Which? Those shorts that Carlton are wearing... Yeah. I could see them in the 1970s on one player. Uh, 70s, He no. just happened to be almost the toughest player going around. Lee Matthews? No, Don Scott. He was a Scott. <laughs> oh, yes. Scotty was a swish. Only worn with a cravat. Correct. However, he, on field. He wouldn't have worn them on field. No. I could see him going to a Brownlow in a pair of those. I was going to say tribunal hearing. <laughs> there was a great picture of Don Scott coming out of a tribunal hearing with a cravat and a jacket and all that stuff. And his man that... The man bag. The leather. That leather oh, you couldn't have a man bag back in the 70s. That was the cause of much ribbing from his Hawthorne colleagues. But again, not for the first time, we digress. You deserve a nice, angry build-up. And I'm going to give you one by counting you in in aggressive fashion right now. Thank you. Three, two, one, rant!
I would have thought the recent goings-on in South Africa would have empowered, invigorated cameramen, sporting cameramen around the globe. After all, South Africa's sporting cameramen, their cricket watchers, took time out from scouring the crowd for scantily clad, dare I say, bucks and young girls to really show the world that Australia were cheating. And in doing so, they unveiled one of the greatest controversies in cricket history, showing that the sporting cameraman has a role to play if he's vigilant. Fast forward to the AFL. Do they learn anything? No. It's once again another seemingly season of cut to crowd for the same old faces. Let's start with Sunday's game between West Coast and the Western Bulldogs. Willie Rioli makes his debut and the Rioli family turn up en masse to support him. I now know that family so well, I can tell you what Auntie Rioli wears and what younger cousin Rioli was eating for lunch because they showed them every single time they cut away from the game. And then on to Monday's game. Jeff Kennett is back as president of the Hawks. Don't we know it? Over and over and over again. Along with Eddie Maguire and Kochi from Port Adelaide and Collingwood respectively, we have the three presidents that will be shown over and over and over. At the end of the game between Hawthorne and Geelong, Hawthorne hit the lead in the last quarter, built up a bit of a break, cut to Kennett. Geelong start coming back. Parfit goal, scores a level, cut to Kennett. Ruffhead marks, cut to Kennett. Ruffhead scores, cut to Kennett. At this point, Kennett knows what's going on and he's acting in a particularly calm manner for Kennett. The siren goes, Hawthorne wins, cut to Kennett. And what do we see? Jeff Kennett calmly taking his jacket off the back of his seat. There are 72,000 fans at the ground. Geelong fans inconsolable, some crying. Hawthorne fans celebrating like the Americans did the day that the Second World War was declared over. Kissing in the streets. But no, we got cut to Kennett. Why don't we cut to all the presidents? How about Bob Sharpless of Brisbane? Who, you say? I don't know. I think his name's Bob Sharpless. There's Tony Shepherd of GWS. Never seen him. And of course, there's Fremantle's Dave Alcock. Or Alco. I don't know if it's Alco or Alcock, because I've never seen him. But I'll tell you this. I've seen Mick Malloy plenty at the footy. You get a full eyeful of him at Richmond Games. Eric Banner, if he's in town at St Kilda Games. And, as I've already mentioned, presidents who appear on TV or ex-politicians. Come on, smarten up, cameraman at the AFL. There's more than just four or five well-known heads at the footy. How about mine? Here, here. Very well articulated, and I could not agree more. You know, there's one worst thing that can happen with this, and it's a cricket thing, and I suspect we're going to take it on board soon enough. It's during play, cutting to the commentators as they're calling the action. Oh, yeah, I've seen that on the cricket. Well, given the sort of football commentary we're subjected to these days, Finey, that would be absolute sadism at its worst. Mm, That would be bad. No, it's a great rant. I couldn't agree more. And uh, jolly good show, old chap. And I think I left out family Silvani at Carlton. <laughs> oh, they're all right. I like Sauce and Joe. And their boys. They're a great family. All right, that's enough for this week. Uh, it's been a bit of a marathon, the old Easter round. Any final thoughts? Well, Easter, Easter weekend football might be long, 
but it's in safe hands as we as long as we always finish up on a Monday with Hawthorne Geelong. God bless those two teams. What an epic. What an, I hope they're jousting on Easter Monday in not just decades, but centuries to come, finally, even on other planets. I tell you what, though, we're two rounds into a new season, and I haven't dragged this one out for a few years, but I'm so moved by today's game that I'm going to call on it now. Uncle Doug Elliott. Woof, woof! You pinched my line. I'm going to go <laughs> with it again. Anyway. Footy, it's great to have you back. Woof, woof! We'll see you next week.